Hello, stackers, and welcome back to another episode, a Creation Corner episode of Stack of Dice. I'm Rhett, and with me is... Thane. Again. And we're going to continue our discussion from the previous episode where we talked about different game systems and uh, the benefit of checking out other games. And we brought up some things that we really appreciated about other game systems. And then this week, as we promised, we're going to talk about how to take some of those things and adapt them and bring them into Dungeons & Dragons to hopefully, I think the ultimate goal, of course, is to improve the game experience for your players and for yourself. And so let's go back through the systems that we talked about briefly, and then uh, how we could adapt that for use in a D&D campaign. All right. So uh, what I brought up anyway, we talked about Cairn with its classless, narrative-focused, streamlined way to play. Yeah. So why don't we start there? And of course, looking through the rule books for D&D, through the player's handbook in particular, it's obvious that it's built around a class-centric system. It's an integral part to how D&D runs. And so trying to incorporate this kind of open-ended, unrestricted character creation is difficult indeed because what class you pick determines you know how many hit points you get every level, uh-huh. what abilities you have, can or can't you cast spells, uh, weapon proficiencies, stuff mm-hmm. like that. All that stuff is, is guided by the class that you pick. Uh, whereas Karen has none of that. Uh, mm-hmm. You are able, if you can pick up, um, spellcasting isn't an innate thing in Karen. You use spell books or whatever else can cast magic, and but anyone can do it. So how do we take this idea, anyway, and incorporate it into our D&D games? Well, Dad's looking at me, so I'm supposed to answer that. Um, <laughs> because you can't really choose to not have a class in D&D, I do think it would be interesting. It would take some work for sure, but creating almost like like a blank slate class that everyone chooses where it's, I don't know, it's just kind of level across the board and gives players the flexibility to do whatever, which is totally not the fighter at all. <laughs> but uh, some interesting ideas that kind of make character creation and class choosing a bit more integral to the character is I've, I've seen stuff like where the session zero is also kind of the character creation process mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. everyone is a blank slate. And as they go through a dungeon, they're faced with options and choices that will help influence what kind of character they mean to play, which can then assign you your class. So yeah, you walk yeah. into a room and there's, there is a old, tome of, of of arcane knowledge on the ground you, you pick it up and you read and boom you're a wizard now or there's a shrine to some dark deity and you uh are offered the chance to make a pact with it and bang you're a warlock yeah that's an interesting possibility i, th- I could see that being especially effective for players who are new to the game yes where they don't maybe quite know what the differences are or they're a little intimidated by the range of options available to them. And so this would allow them in game in a more organic and natural way to decide on what kind of character they'd like to play. And it wouldn't even need to be that specific uh, with a shrine or a book. Oh yeah. It could be you as the DM monitoring how they respond to different things. And then that would maybe narrow things down to one or two specific classes that would probably be a, na- a natural fit for their play style. Yeah. And that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing 
I think this is a little more directed than what you just talked about. But one of the things that we've talked about in the past is the idea of a character waking up with amnesia at the very beginning of the game. And I like this approach because the DM actually has the character sheet filled out. The player has no idea what their character even is. Mm -hmm. And then as they, I don't know, make their way through a prison break or whatever, uh, they begin to uncover little tidbits. Uh, Hey, I want to try this door. Will you put your hands on the bars and you pull and roll a die? Okay, well, I rolled pretty low. It was only a seven. Well, your strength allows you to pull the bars apart anyway. Whoa, okay, so I'm pretty strong. you know. And so you can uncover these things and it becomes something of a mystery as to who I am and what I am. And then that could feed into the overall story. Why do I have amnesia? That alone, yeah, that alone could make for an interesting adventure if you've got maybe one character who's like that. And, and there's something odd like you being amnesiatic or, or maybe uh, nobody will tell him his name or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it fills in that, uh, that aura of mystery. And I got that idea originally from a podcast called The Dungeon Master's Block. Uh, that I listened to extensively when I when we were first starting Stack of Dice. Lots of good ideas. Check them out. Uh, Dungeon Master's Block has all sorts of interesting conversations and neat things. I think we mentioned it in one of our early Well of Inspiration <laughs> <laughs> Creation Corner episodes. Uh, but yeah, it's well worth listening to. So I think D&D's answer to classlessness is the multi-class system yeah it's about as close as you can get um, where you can pick and choose hey i want to be this this level and uh, you know so you take different amounts of levels and different things the the downside to it of course is that the cap for a character in standard rules definition D is 20 so you can never get to the 20th level as your first class if you take any level in another class yeah and so that immediately takes away some of those neat, neat, powerful abilities at level 20. But if you don't care about those, or if your DM is willing to uh, maybe extend the cap a little bit, uh, then you could dabble in one or two other. For all you nut jobs who actually make it to level 20 characters. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. We're working on it. <laughs> but of course... Uh, if if you do want a truly classless uh, type of role-playing game, I think you're just going to, for the best way to do it, is just go to another role-playing system that does that, like Karen or, or whatever else you happen to find. Um, because it's just, that's how Dungeons & Dragons works. It's it's built to be, uh, everyone has a role to play. Um, where there's, there's supposed to be a little bit of distinction between characters. You know, I'm the fighter, and so I am built for the frontline melee and, and the toe-to-toe fighting. I'm the wizard. I'm, I'm, I specialize in knowing stuff and casting spells. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, for new players, that could be a welcome thing. Mm-hmm. Having boundaries, knowing what your role is, and sticking to it. And then maybe things like Cairn, where it's just kind of whatever. Uh, that That has an element of freedom that could be helpful, but it could also be... Too many uh, possibilities. Yeah, analysis paralysis, where I, yeah. I have so many things that I could do that I, I don't do anything. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, really, this is where knowing your players comes in. Exactly. If you feel that your players operate better with boundaries, then D&D, I think, is a natural fit for that. Mm-hmm. So moving away from a classless system and more to a traditional class 
uh, based role playing game, we talked a little bit about Weird North, which is very similar to Karen, but has six different archetypes that you can choose from for your character. Mm-hmm. And while these do provide you with starting equipment along with a certain list of special abilities that you can gain uh, through advancement, one of the more interesting things about it is that there are a couple of questions that each archetype asks that basically define certain traits about your character just in general, like um, as I brought up in our previous episode, the contender archetype, which is all about combat. Um, they, they have to give a question of what taunt can't you ignore? Uh, if someone says something bad about your family or, or your sword or the land that you come from, all bets are off. Your character just gets angry and, and can't ignore that. Um, there's the the oracular, which is you know what instrument do you use to see the the future or whatever is you know do you use divining rods or a pool of water or oracle bones or you know, just little questions that don't really have much mechanical impact, but they really just flesh out what your character like who who your character is. It's a flavor thing. It is, and it, it really is interesting to me. Um, and so I think what you can do with that in D and D is for each class or maybe just across the board, just a couple of questions to ask, you know, players creating their characters that really encourage them to think about who am I going to play as? What do I envision them being? How do they interact with other people? How, um, what little tick uh, manifests itself under stress, stuff like that. Yeah. And I see a couple things coming to mind from this particular example. Number one, D&D already, at least the fifth edition, incorporates bonds, flaws, and whatever the others are. Ideals and traits, whatever. Yeah. And so that's kind of their answer to this thing, where each class has things that are kind of specific to it. And I think they are just, at least at our table, they're more of a tacked on kind of thing. And every now and then we, oh yeah, let's let's think about that. And and then it kind of disappears from mind. But I, maybe at the beginning of a session together, you sit down and everyone reads out their section up there, the flaws, ideals, and bonds as a reminder. Okay, this is what my character needs to focus yeah. on. One of the most um, difficult things I think pops up in role-playing games, especially for inexperienced role-players, is role-playing even to the party's detriment Mm -hmm. uh, of Mm -hmm. just um, a thing that is not ideal and can actually be quite problematic, but sticking to that because that's who your character is. Uh, That's just a a thing about people. Sure, you know, there are a lot of situations where it would be a lot more ideal if we did one thing, but because we're irrational and have our own issues, they manifest at the worst of times, just like when we're trying to escape from a Bendele and Wamberbash went nuts because he did not want to get into the crab, which was the only way that we would get out safely. But that just, that just made for a very memorable and a very entertaining segment of our story. Yeah. It's now, those kind of conflicts. Something that, uh, that you can do as a dungeon master to add a little extra flavor is maybe have a list of general questions Questions that can apply to any class, any character. And again, as part of the character building process, you could actually read through those as a way of starting off the process. And again, this will be most helpful for players that are new to the game. Mm -hmm. They have no clue what they're doing, no idea what they want. 
they have a book in front of them that's a hundred plus pages long and they're just, they're just overwhelmed by everything. So you having a list of guiding questions, how do you deal with this? What do you think about the, you know, looking at it from the vantage point of your character, how would you like your character to react to these things? And I think that would be helpful for starting the process. Again, I don't know if I've mentioned this explicitly in our recordings, but the way I do character creation is I don't start off by picking race and class and all that stuff. I start off with the background. Mm -hmm. So fifth edition has what is called backgrounds for each character. And that's just a little flavor thing that can add depth to your character. And I like to start with that because everyone starts somewhere. You don't just start off waving a sword and wearing fancy armor, Mm -hmm. at least not usually. Not normally, no. And by Starting with the background, whether it's an orphan or a sailor or an outcast or whatever the case might be, uh, you you start to develop a sense for your character as a person before you start adding on the elements of class and race. And I think that's a helpful way to do it. And that's where this list of general questions could come in. And the beauty of it is, because it's the same for everyone, you'll quickly become familiar with how to apply it as a dungeon master and everyone knows what to expect. Yeah. And some some class-specific questions might also be uh, interesting, just so that way there's just variation depending on which class that you pick. You know. Yeah, and really, I mean, if you set up your list of questions the right way, you could see which way the answers are trending and then have it almost like a flowchart. Oh yeah, I've, if you I've answer, seen this before. Yeah, if you answer this way, da, 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 you kind of push towards the more combat classes. If you push this way, it's more towards the magic classes, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that way, it it's a little more organic to the process. Yeah. So we talked a bit about that, and then we went uh, a good while back into the role-playing game of Tunnels and Trolls, which was made as a, a spin-off of AD&D 2nd Edition back in the day. And the major thing about that was the fact that it just used all D6s, which uh, I find interesting is not at all compatible with D&D. That is not how the system works in the slightest. And you could go ahead and try and, and get that in because it does certainly help introducing new players, not having to uh, remind them. Which die do I roll? Yeah, which die, <laughs> which one? Is, yeah, roll your D20. Which one is that? The big one. Um <laughs> But one of the things that we really pointed out in Tunnels and Trolls was the interesting aspect of things really taking a toll physically on your character. Yes. When you took damage, that was taken straight out of your constitution, not out of a separate stat being your hit points. Uh, When you cast spells, that took right out of your strength, which I found really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, And I like this approach because it has a detrimental effect on your character. It's not just you're worried about hit points and then that's the only thing that's affected. You could be crippled. Mm -hmm. You could lose a limb. Which I think Dungeons & Dragons just doesn't really do a good job of portraying the real dangers of adventuring. Yeah, and I think, again, a good DM, unlike me, (laughs) (laughs) uh, would be quick on that would you know would say okay that was a pretty nasty hit and maybe maybe on a natural 20 there's a a percentage chance that you could have some lasting injury yeah Uh, that would be an interesting way of doing it a lot of recent uh role-playing games i've taken a look at have wound tables or Mm -hmm. stuff like or scar charts stuff like that where basically when you when, when you take a 
certain amount of damage or if you take so many points or a percentage of points in a a single hit in circumstances where you find yourself in danger, you could lose a limb or break a bone or, uh, reorienting head wounds, stuff like or, that. Yeah. Be disfigured for life. Exactly. And that, that could reduce your charisma or exactly. whatever. Just yeah. you know, permanent effects that result from getting into fights sometimes unnecessarily. Uh, the fights are fun. They're dramatic, but they're dangerous. And I, I think sometimes, of course there is fun to just a good old sword slinging adventure where you're just running through a dungeon, just fighting everything. There's, there's a, there's a good bit of fun to that. But if you're interested in a bit more of a narrative, grounded, realistic story, it is definitely useful to include systems like that, where there are stat repercussions for being so reckless. And we also talked about spell casting Mm -hmm. and how each spell you cast actually affects your strength, where before too long, you're you're too weak to even cast a spell. Yes. And that's really neat, too. I, Mm -hmm. I like that idea that magic could have a cost. Exactly. Other than just losing spell slots. Yeah, that, um, again, just that abstraction, just completely taking it away from your core attributes makes it so expendable and so unimportant. Yeah, you've brought up before how interesting it would be just to have a real interconnected web type system to magic mm-hmm. where healing spells take life out of other things. Yeah, or like the plants around you wilt when you cast a, a healing spell. Exactly, where... Magic is not just an endless spring, but a net that is stretched and pinched. And that's uh, really terrible when you're in the king's special garden and you're casting spells. Oh, man. <laughs> and that you kill be, off his prize that roses. Would, that would be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and make for some really, really interesting situations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you could really have a lot of fun. Now, we have flavored up our own game where Womberbash talks about being completely depleted and hungry or tired after basically running out of his side points. Exactly. But that's, that's nothing mechanical. That's just him yeah. playing his character. And I, I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. And you, you only really get that kind of stuff with veteran role players who, who have that kind of mindfulness or just the occasional really, really good newcomer. Yeah. To the thing. Um, so all that said, being mindful of ways to have, stats affected by in-game events i think that's a good thing and it would take some tinkering as a dungeon master to figure out how to do that effectively and it may Mm -hmm. even take some back and forth with your players and maybe even getting approval beforehand listen because this happened i think this is fair or this will help the story oh yeah and the two of you talking through it and agreeing on it then when you reveal it to the table and everyone's like oh no yeah uh, uh, that could be an interesting way of handling it. The big thing about D&D is a collaborative effort. Too mm-hmm. often we either put it too much on the players, too much on the on the dungeon masters. The thing is, you're, you're supposed to focus on everyone having the fun time that they want to have uh, within certain boundaries. And so you might think it'd be really cool to have one hit, one kill, and everyone else kind of wants to enjoy their characters for more than a session. And so yeah. you just need to compromise on that. But after Tunnels and Trolls, we talked about a system that you've tried, Mouse Ritter. Yeah. The big takeaway that I got from that particular experience was the use of money to improve the community. And the result of that would be not only a richer in-game experience, but experience points. Mm -hmm. I like that concept a lot. And really for implementing it in a game, I think it's just you as a dungeon master deciding you want to do it. And then it may, again, take some collaboration with the players to figure out what would be fair, yeah. what kind of scale for experience points do I think would work. And 
you know, is it is it based on the amount of coins that you spend? Is it based on the types of projects that you spend the money on? Yeah. Is it a combination of those? Uh, if it's just walking into the temple, throwing a sack of coins down and saying, here, have a day. Yeah. <laughs> and then you walk out. That's There's not really much to that. But at the same time, if you spend money to form a local militia, let's say, mm-hmm. that will help to protect the village against raiders, uh, I think there's a lot more interaction with that. And so there needs to be a balance between how much thought goes into the expenditure of money. And I think I would award extra experience points for actually playing through it mm-hmm. and for finding ways to tie the characters into the process. Exactly. Now, uh, taking a little bit of this and also jumping a little bit back to Weird North, I'm increasingly becoming a fan personally of like the milestone advancement system over experience points, where it really draws back on the quantification of the game and more just the narrative elements, mm-hmm. where it's not just, oh, we happen to have enough experience points and so now we level up. It's This is an important moment in the game. Uh, we just overcome a trial. It only makes sense that we grew from this. There are certainly benefits to both. But I think encouraging players to do interesting and notable things, defeating enemies, making connections with people, finding cool places, really having a beneficial impact on the world around them. Because in a lot of games, we just want to be the heroes and not all heroes run around and kill the big things. Um, Sometimes they just grow little things or whatever. And so just taking time to really reward your players for doing cool stuff and making interesting stories um, is, I think, a great way of advancing. Because in Weird North, um, every archetype advances in a different way with the contender. Every time you defeat a pretty interesting foe, Mm. you gain an ability. Or with the Dirt Friend, uh, you leveled up every time you established a culinary trend, which is completely outside of adventuring almost entirely. Mm -hmm. But really changes what you focus on in role-playing. Oracularies leveled up every time they fulfilled a prophecy. Hmm. There was one, I forget, that would level up every time you restored order to chaos. Uh, It was big on resolving disputes and Hmm. stuff like that. Uh, Special rewards for the different classes doing kind of what they're supposed to do gives players an incentive to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, neat. I like that. To my mind... I'm not huge on mechanics, and I think longtime listeners will appreciate that and and know that that is the case. <laughs> yeah. I would I would much rather have elements that lead to a good story, a memorable time, a fun time at the table, exactly, than worry about nitpicking on rules oh, and, yeah. and worrying about exact details. Mm-hmm. To me, the game is more about the fun you have than, and that's certainly what the book even says. Yeah. Ditch the rules when the story is better. Yeah. And I do appreciate that about D and D. And so the last thing we talked about last episode was unearthed arcana. Mm-hmm. And that is again, the official unofficial product that D and D releases periodically as they are developing new aspects of the game, trying to come up with new classes, new subclasses, uh, new mechanics. Yeah, exactly. That's where we got our three-pillar approach from and there's all these mass, things. There's a mass battle system if mm-hmm. you want to just turn it into a war game. Or or resolve large-scale battles in-game. Yeah, with yeah. a little chance of randomness to it. Right. The neat thing about that, and we mentioned this last week, is that it's made by Wizards of the Coast. And so it's a lot of this stuff is already baked in D&D ready. Yeah. And so there's very little that you have to do to implement it other than 
understanding what they're getting at and being ready for when things don't work out fairly because play balancing is not quite in the mix for Unearthed Arcana or UA content quite yet because it's just it's basically coming off the drawing board and right into your hands. Yeah. And they're looking for feedback. So I'd recommend if you're going to use UA content DMs, be ready to have an open dialogue with Wizards of the Coast developers to let them know, hey, this is working, this isn't working, and uh, here's what we found. Maybe if you come up with a workaround, share that with them. Mm-hmm. And you might see some of your ideas worked into future iterations of D&D. That'd be kind of neat. Possibly. Uh, so I think that covers the main things. There was one last thing that I got from thinking about last week's episode, and that is there's value in looking at previous editions of D&D also. Yes. And in particular, one thing that I remembered from, I think, the 3 or 3.5 days, there was an alternate attribute system where you still rolled up your attributes like normal, so you have your strength, dexterity, constitution, all that stuff. But then they had a, an optional system where you could actually split each one into two different categories. So for strength, it was like uh, raw strength and endurance. So what can you do to exert yourself for a very short period of time? And what can you do for an extended period of time? Mm-hmm. And so you could take your base score, say you had an 18 strength. You could actually take that and you would split that amount into the two subcategories. So for raw strength, you could say, I've got a 16. And for endurance, I've got a 20. But you could not deviate more than two points off of your base score. Yeah. And so your base score became the fixing point. Okay, you're, you're generally a very, very, very strong person. Mm-hmm. It's just that you have better endurance than you have raw strength. Interesting. And so that was kind of a neat way to do it. And that would be helpful for situations where the dm wants to do something very finely distinctive yeah um and i don't remember what all the categories and subcategories were uh, which is unfortunate because i thought it was a neat idea yeah but again if it's too detailed don't worry about it uh the the base game i think is just fine the way it is oh yeah so look back at obviously the skill challenge. I am a huge fan of the skill challenge from fourth edition. I think that's cool. It's so much fun. It speeds things up. If it you, does. If you want to have a combat without going through combat, yeah. make it a skill challenge. You know, I think that makes it more interesting for players. Oh man, another combat. Well, let's break out the dice. Oh, get ready. Go into turn keep track order. of initiative and all that. Right. Stuff. If you don't want to slow the pace of the game all that much, turn an encounter into a skill challenge instead. Hmm. And so finding ways to cannibalize parts from previous editions and bring it into the current edition, I think, is very interesting and a a fun way to liven up the game. Really? Just make a Frankenstein abomination of a creature. (laughs) That's what this is all about. That's right. That's right. It's all about having fun and finding what works for your table. And again, that's right out of the rule book, too. Exactly. If things are bogging down the play, get rid of it. Mm Mm-hmm. If you find that something helps the play and it's nowhere in the rule book, put it in there. Have fun with it. So, Stackers, we come back to you and we thank you for joining us for this second in a two-part series of how to experiment with other game systems and then how to work things from those systems into D&D. I hope you found it fun and informative. And we hope that you have game systems of your own that you like the sounds of, parts that you like, and if you want to share that with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Stack of Dice, 
or you can catch us through email at stack.o.dice at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you in any of those ways. Next week, we should have a special content on Monday, so be on the lookout for that. And the following week, we should be back to our actual play episodes. Excellent. And so we'll be ready to gather as a recording family to make that happen. We hope you have a safe start to your new year, 2022. And we'll see you here again next time, right here at Stack of Dice.